Oh, hello, listeners. This is Phil C, and this is Aussie, Aussie, Aussie Flashbacks, if you've just joined us. And I have a very, very special guest on the phone lines with us this afternoon. And he, of course, is the front man of Chocolate Starfish. Adam Thompson, tell me all about Chocolate Starfish. First of all, can I take you back a little bit to – because you were a rural boy from um, Victoria, is that correct? That's right, yeah, on a farm between Shepparton and – Yamurka in the uh, Gold Valley where I was brought up. Okay. And and your dad was a dairy farmer, I understand. Dad was a dairy farmer. We had very little um, music. Uh, well, we had no one in our family that sung or played an instrument or okay. anything like that. So right. um, the, the primary school in the farming community was about 11 kids. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, you know, it was pretty tiny. Right. Um and really, it wasn't until I, you know, went to my latter years in high school that I, I discovered drama, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then found music as a result of that. So, what was it like for your parents when you decided? Because I, I imagine your father, being a dairy farmer, he probably thought, well, you know, here comes the next generation of dairy farmers. What was it like for him when you said, no, Dad, I'm not interested in playing with cows. Others, I want to, I want to become a, an entertainer. <laughs> Yeah, look, very much that that was what he had pegged for me that uh, I was going to be, you know, taking over the farm and but uh, as the eldest son. But I, I don't know, it just it just didn't feel right to me. And, and as soon as I, I mean, some what happened in life with it, we we lost my mum when I was about fourteen, so okay. she died of cancer when I was about fourteen. So I guess all those you know life experiences have a way of um, you know, shaping your direction. And for me, it. Um, it, uh, it created the, the need to express myself uh, and get out some of that emotion that, you know, back in the 70s wasn't, um, you know, wasn't available in terms of psychologists and, and you know, the like. So um, songwriting and, and singing became the, the, the muse for me to, to cope with that, um, that tragedy. And um, so, you know, I guess that, that then shaped my... My future and, and cows weren't part of it, unfortunately, at that point. <laughs> okay. Well, I think if I had a choice between playing with cows others or becoming, you know, a front man for such a dynamic band as uh, Chocolate Starfish, I know where I would have leaned my, my direction to. <laughs> um, yeah, look, absolutely. And I do think, Phil, that, you know, it, it's the, like the sliding doors moment and some, you know, some of those sliding doors moments are very subtle Subtle situations, but other, others are like the one that I faced. And um, I think they all have, um, you know, that propensity to to change your direction in life um, rapidly. And, and, you know, I, I feel blessed, if blessed is a, is a thing that you can attribute to the passing of your mum, but I feel blessed that, that, you know, in some ways that, you know, her passing gave me that opportunity to explore something so so dynamic. Okay. Now, you are considered to be a dynamic, crazy, wild man on stage um, <laughs> and a fantastic front man. Now, I've got to confess, I have never seen Chocolate Starfish live. And I seem to be, because I'm actually in Broken Hill at the moment, and I seem to be just passing you guys. Because you, I went through Victoria and, and you did a show at the Tum, Tumby Fest, I think it was called. Um, uh, yeah, Tumbarumba. Tumbarumba, yeah, yeah Tumbi Fest, and I missed you by about two days. 
and and then I was at Cobram, and so I've missed you all along the way. However, I am going to go to Monday Monday, this big festival that's coming up, because having read about you, and, and I've looked at a few YouTube things about you, uh, yeah, definitely a wild man on stage. Now, you're considered to be this real sort of crazy front man, uh, and a great one at that. Uh, who do you consider? Do you consider to be this real great front man or do you just out there having a lot of fun just being yourself? Oh, what a great question. Um, to me, um, you know, the, my my greatest um, idol as a kid growing up uh, when, and when I discovered music was um, was Freddie Mercury. And, right. um, and, you know, and I don't know whether you term Freddie crazy, but he's certainly... Um, Certainly bombastic and theatrical and all those um, adjectives. So yes. um, when I discovered him and I discovered Queen and the way he commanded a crowd like Wembley, that became the yeah, the yardstick for me. And um, that's you know when I get on stage and no matter whether it's fifty people or it's it's fifty thousand, that's that's the response that I that I seek. You know, and I yep. seek that involvement and I seek that. Um, that participation from a crowd and um so even now in my 50s um where a lot of um other you know entertainers even of, of my generation of the 90s are, are sort of you know winding down a little bit and being a lot more demure and and, and uh, i guess um you know fading into the into the sunset yep. i i'm still pushing the pushing the boundaries and pushing the envelopes and mm. um because I think it's what keeps me vital. It keeps it, it's what keeps me and the band edgy. It keeps um, it keeps the show interesting, and um, you know, it, it's not as um, in inverted commas dangerous as what it was back in the nineties. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't hang upside down off um, off rafters as much as I used to because I definitely fell a few times. But oh wow, but I certainly, I certainly. Um, uh, you know, I, I jump out in the crowd. I get you know, I get the crowd. Um, Jumping up and down, I get them. Uh, like I do funny things where I'll go out um, pre-COVID, of course, you know, and yes. I'll be singing a song, and all of a sudden I'll take someone's hat off, and I'll put on someone else's head, then I'll take their hat. Okay. So by the time I finish the song, fifty hats have exchanged around the crowd, <laughs> and then people have to go and find them. <laughs> well, that's a great it's stuff like that. It's know. a great way to engage the crowd, but um, you know, when you're talking about Freddie Mercury, I mean, he had the crowd in the palm of his hand. I mean, uh, I've seen so much of Freddie's work. Uh, and I mean, he could have swore at people and they would have swore right back at each other. He just had that gift. For sure. And and it's, and it's and when you are in that zone and the crowd is enjoying you that much, um, it, it's a real responsibility. I mean, you have, you have such power in that moment. And, mm. um, you know, I, I, I want to use it for good. Of <laughs> course, evil. of course. Um, and I just try and, you know, I try and send people away with the experience of not only do I really want to come back and see that band again because it was one of the best nights that I've ever had, okay. um, but but also just with a, with a lasting memory that, um, you know, that 10 years later they'll, they'll, come and, they'll come and find you at a merch table somewhere and go, oh, I saw you at this place and of you course. did this and, and my wife and I remember it, you know, and... Yeah, so that, those are the moments that I think you have to try and create. And uh, if I can just segue onto Freddie, interesting, just before COVID hit, I um, I took on the Bohemian Rhapsody soundtrack. Yes, And I did. was doing it in 
in big theatres around, um, you know, so I put 2,000 people in the Palais in Melbourne and 1,500 in Brisbane. And so I was doing some massive shows and mm-hmm. I was right in the middle of the of the regional Australia tour and uh, so that had to get um, delayed now until August this year. So okay. I'm hoping some of the listeners who are Queen fans will, will come and see me, uh, you know, to come and see me do justice to that show. Yeah, well, I know you're doing a venue at... Um Thorule, Anita's Theatre, I think, is on the 8th of August, I think. I am, absolutely. Absolutely. Correct. So that's the size rooms we're doing. So yes. hopefully I'll see you there. Well, look, August, I'm not sure where – well, Monday, Monday's on in August. You're going to be a busy man, aren't you? I am. I'm going yeah, to – I'll definitely – Yeah, because I'll definitely try and get to the Queen show because I've – I am a huge Queen fan, and and my son, who's in his uh, sort of late twenties, you know, absolutely loves Queen, and we went to see Queen with um, Adam Lambert, and I mean, a great singer. Uh, To me, kind of looks a little out of place because all the other band members are really, you know, they're pushing it now, and and he's this young pretty boy with an incredible vocal, but. It looked a little odd for me, I must confess, but I certainly yeah. can't. I can't, certainly can't bag his performance or, or his vocal. Absolutely brilliant vocalist. Um, no, so, you're right, you know, and I think what's important is that you know um, what he does. What is what I try and do as well is okay. to to take on the show in your own way and not yes. um, like there are cover bands out there that yes. put on a mustache and buck teeth and try and be free. Uh, okay, that, yeah. That's not me. That's not no. what I do. I, yeah. I it's like for those listeners who. Remember Chocolate Starfish's first um, big hit, which was "You're So Vain." You're so vain. Carly Simon. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, we didn't uh, try and pretend to be Carly Simon and play the song in exactly the same way. No. We took it on. We took it on in our, in our own way, and that's what I do with with Queen. With Queen. What about the vocals of, of of Freddie Mercury's songs? Though they're extremely demanding. I mean, how do you prepare for something like that? <laughs> yeah, well, you don't drink and you don't smoke and you don't do drugs and you uh you warm up daily and you you know you, you've got to be in that moment and it's yeah, it's, inc- it's incredible range and that it, uh that you have to do yes and but then but then there's also the you know the flamboyancy that comes with the performance as well you know that's my nature anyway so yes. um it's definitely not a stand there and sing so it's um you know i'm 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 out and I'm 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 out doing, you know, just lots of big gestures and lots of you know something like fat bottom girls, for example, you know, jumping up and down with huge passion and as as is the crowd. Yes. Um. So you know, it's certainly tasking, and um, you know, I've got to I've got to sleep well, I've got to eat well and rest well because um, yeah. you know, to be to be in the game, that's what you got to do. Absolutely. Absolutely, to be able to do that and uh, and night after night, especially if you're doing a tour somewhere. Well, not night after night, but if you're on tour, that takes it out of you as well. Now, what about the other albums you've done? Because again, you you've done a, a um, NXS's Kick, and you also did Bat Out of Hell. Now, with uh, um, Meatloaf, my goodness, on the top of his game, what an entertainer he was. I'm sadly. Yeah. He should have retired a long time ago and stuck to B-grade movies because I don't feel he can really sing anymore, or certainly not the way he used to. Um, how do you go with those ones again? Because you've, you've picked some real cracker sort of albums to want to, um, you know, perform, and and uh, yeah. how do you bring justice to all of those things? It must really take a lot of time, and, and how do you mentally prepare for that? 
Um, well, it's, it's interesting because when I when when I was living on the farm and I and I found music and I found that that muse of being able to express that was um, <clears throat> probably one of the first albums as a fourteen year old boy I bought. I bought that out of hell, and um, I remember playing that on you know that LP on on Dad's turntable, and Dad was down the farm plowing, and I'm and I'm literally jumping off. Um, the edge of the couch, you know, pretending it was him doing better to hell. And, yep. um, and, you know, like, I don't know whether you've had these experiences, but as a, as a boy at that age, I thought, oh, one day, one yes. day I'm going to meet him. And literally, um, there's a photograph going around the internet where we got signed to the same label. And oh, wow. I was backstage at um, Rod Laver on his 50th. And as he gave his 50th speech, yes, um, I'm, I'm in the circle with him and his arms around my shoulder thanking everyone for coming. And right. that same year, I sung two out of three. I bowed with him at the EMI record company's um, bash on Hayman Island. So I think, you know, here's this little 14-year-old boy in, in Shepparton thinking one day this could happen, and it manifested into exactly what I wanted. Wow. I find, that, I find that amazing. That is amazing. I mean, you never would have thought it in a million years. You obviously really wanted to do what you are doing and you pursued it with all your heart and all the passion in the world and wishing from your yeah. heart, I guess, you did get to meet one of your idols. Sadly, yeah, Freddie's gone and I'm sure if yeah. he was still with us, you would have wanted to have chased him down too, no doubt. I would have I would have found a way, mate, let yep. me tell you. I would have found a way and... Uh, but, you know, a bit like Adam Lambert, I, I keep that legacy going in a way that, um, you know, the music will, this music of, the music of Queen will always live on. Absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I guess, what I'm trying to do with, uh, with Chocolate Starfish recordings mm-hmm. as well, you know, when we got back together again after a long hiatus. Yes. Um, I decided that, you know, new music and new albums were, were always going to be a part of the future of the band, and but we also had to do them with, um, conviction and, and you know it couldn't just be just slapping together some songs and, and hoping they were good you, yeah. you've got to put your uh, your energy and your impetus into it and that's um, that's what we've been doing for the last uh, seven eight years now since we've been back together so why did you leave the band I mean the band you had you had albums you know two two out of five I think were in were in the in the Aria Awards. You, you also have Vane, that was your biggest selling single, and you, you had several singles. Why did you leave at ninety eight? In, in ninety eight, it's it's almost like you yeah. know, you were getting there at the top of your game, and then what happened? Look, it was an interesting feeling. The band the band kind of was disintegrating around each other, and we you know like like most things that you know people see the band um, on stage, and you know that, and we'd been together. I guess as a visual entity for about three or four years, um, but you've got to remember there's a backstory to that, and there's you know there's the years before when all of us were in other bands trying to make it and, and that didn't make it, and then this lineup finally made it, and so there was there was definitely a weariness in the in the guys where we were all um, you know mid thirties, and that's all we'd ever known, and yes. um, so I know personally I wasn't. Um, I wasn't in a good place mentally. I needed, I needed life experience. Um, you know, I, I would pretty much not be able to pay a bill. I, I just wasn't. You know, definitely wasn't marryable. I was. <laughs> I didn't know myself. I knew myself only as the lead singer of of a band, right? And 
and band life, particularly when it's a full time concern, doesn't um, doesn't give you space to explore the other aspects. You know, mm-hmm. you're part of a you're part of a, an entity, and um, you know you don't have that freedom to make decisions on your own. They've got to be made within a band context. And, yes. And so a lot of those decisions that I wanted to make, and even if that was just going going away from the band for a few years to, you know, travel the world and, and you know, find out what makes me tick as a 30-year-old man as opposed to the 18-year-old guy who started music, um, but they don't become available to you in a, excuse me, in a band context. So I, did, I just needed that. And I know the other guys needed the same thing, but for you know, for different reasons. Some of them had already had families that they weren't um, nurturing very well, okay. for example. Okay. Yep. So yeah, that that's the reason why. And then their hiatus became a lot longer. You know, of course, it's integrating you. you know, there's people look for blame, and really, it was minor. It was minor situations, but they became blown out of proportion. Yeah. Um, because of the, the circumstance, but. Anyway, when we finally got back together again, um, we started. I started writing songs with Thorin, my guitarist. Yes, songwriting partner, and he, he eventually passed only twelve months after when we got back together again. So that um, that was a bit of a challenge for the band, but it also cemented, you know, the future again for us. And, and we we then knew that if nothing else was bigger than than you know our, being able to communicate properly so that's what we we did under his under his passing i guess yeah so with zoran you had a real connection with him didn't you like you're writing you wrote both of us you and him were the main songwriters so i guess you pushed and pulled each other Mm. around to get what you wanted uh, and you had this real connection so what about now like he's gone i mean his legacy will live on but with a new person who's writing with you now is it is it mainly yourself or do you you know, collaborate with other band members? Yeah, look, I collaborate mostly now with a guy called Tim Henning. Tim has actually produced this new album that we're right. Talking releasing about this year. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Tim Henning would, um, well, for, for the younger listeners, he was um, he was uh, the main songwriter in The Super Jesus. Um, okay. He wrote Nat- Natalie Bathingwaite's hits on Ro- Rogue Traders. Um. Oh. And he had a hit also in the nineties with his band, the Androids, called "I'd Rather Do It with Madonna." Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, he, you know, which actually was an international hit as well. So he and I have found a really good way of writing. To and, and you know that push doesn't happen easily. It happens. Um, it happens with a bit of all, and some people don't last. Hello. I'm, lo- I'm lo- um, I think I've lost you there. Are you there? I lost it. I lost you yeah, for a moment. You, yep. Yep. You, are, we, are we back? Yeah. Yes. So I think that push and pull doesn't happen easily. So I think it's important uh, to to explore that and 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 I guess drop all your ego and be ready to um, to tell each other if no, that's not good enough. And and yeah, and I guess we'll talk about the new album now too because there's some interesting stories that have evolved from that yes well i wanted to ask you before we get on to that what about the music industry it's changed huge in the last 25 years or so since you guys started 
Do you find it better for you guys? I mean, with the younger audiences, I mean, they're all into the platforms now, aren't they? Like Apple Music and Spotify and all that kind of stuff. How, how do you feel it's affecting sales for you, for you fellas? Oh, look, undoubtedly sales um, is massively affected. I mean, you know, the top 100 sales now of, of, of physical product um, is equivalent to the number one single of, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the whole hundred combined. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's um, you don't sell anywhere near the amount. Right. Um, digital digital allows you to record a lot cheaper. So the cost of going in to record, like our first album, cost us one hundred and fifty grand. Wow. Whereas <laughs> the new album, which is actually probably cheap Cheap. in the nineties or the eighties. Yep. Um, whereas today you can put a very good album together for. For twenty thousand dollars. Wow! So okay. your 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 spend isn't anywhere near as great, um, which luckily because you'd, you'd never have you know hide nor hair of, um, of 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 getting it back again if yeah. if it was the hundred and fifty grand. Okay. Um, so there are very few artists now who spend that amount, and very few artists who recoup that amount. Only, only perhaps some of the you know the young. The young acts who um, would sell probably most of it still through digital platforms, but um, through uh, through being able to, um, um, you know, I guess um, have funding, um, so sponsorship through YouTube and stuff like that. That's how they, that's how they would make their money now. Okay. Um, because we're in our fifties, we're not <laughs> we're not young and cute, so. No. Um, you know, someone someone like TikTok's not going to look at us and go, "Hey, you know, this is, is going to go viral because it's um, you know they're they're hot looking." Um, <laughs> that's pretty. So that's pretty that's sad different. when you think about it, though, isn't it? You got to be young, pretty, and hot looking. It's it's almost like Australian Idol, which I don't really want to go there. But you know, well, no, and that's oh, that's my that's the other reason why in the last. I mean. Um, Digressing again, but 20 years ago, I created a, um, a program called Muso Magic, where I go all around the world to do group songwriting with Aboriginal communities, Indian communities, um, corporate companies to produce a song around their values, and it's it's all based on contribution rather than uh, egalitarian measurement of top 10 and top 20, and you're the best, and you're the worst, and yep. you're the one we laugh at. So. I, I can't stand those programs. And, no, neither um, do I. They're all, they're all about, um, you know, what they're doing that purely for um, for the networks to get sensational drama. And, yes. Um, and that's not why why I'm in music. I'm in music because historically, when I talked about my mum's passing, historically every day if I can do something creatively that helps me grow as a human being, yes. then that's why I'm in music. Fantastic, and that's what I try and impart through the program. Muse Magic is in any day that you can write a lyric, learn to sing in tune, learn to play one song on the guitar, whatever it might be, is a step towards your your cathartic healing as yeah. a human being. Well, I've I've actually brought a, a, an acoustic guitar on 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 this trip with me. I'm on the road for three and a half months, and I thought, well, by the time I get back, if I can play six or eight chords, I'll be happy. <laughs> I'm still struggling well, with right. the first two, but at least I'm still hanging in there. You know what I mean? It keeps me sane. It does. It does, and I think you know, there's there's never an age limit to um, 
through experiential growth, you know. And I think as soon as you say I'm too old to do that, yes, um, then then you've you, then you've put a wedge between you and and your development as a person. Mm-hmm. And and I think we all owe it to ourselves and our soul to keep um, to keep growing. Yeah. Now, what do you think about your fan base? Like, do you think you've grown? I know, obviously, doing stuff by you know, like in excess and bat out of hell and Queen. Um, have you got a much or you got a better fan base now? Is it is it grown for you by doing these um, albums, mm. these concept shows? Uh, undoubtedly, the classic album series we've done has, has exponentially grown our audience okay. massively. Actually, so okay. when I put two thousand people in the Palais uh, at the end of 2019 doing Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. um, probably half of that crowd was under the age of 30. Wow. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously, by, by virtue of numbers, they see that show, they then like me as an entertainer. Because they're young, they go on Spotify or Google who you are. Right. And then all of a sudden, they experience your so they experience Mountain and Full Letter Word and the other hits of chocolate starfish and then they then come and see your show because you know by osmosis they've become a new fan yes. uh, and that's that's just uh, that's smart marketing fantastic now can i ask you before we get on to the new album <laughs> i'm gonna cross a line here the name chocolate starfish who came up with that what was the idea behind it <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I've, I've been asked this one, and I'm going to have to go delicate. Um, okay, yeah, definitely. Because I, I, over the years, I've been asked this, um, even when I uh, was doing teenage magazines back in the 90s, I had to delicately answer it. Uh-huh. And, of course, I made up stories that, you know, the chocolate starfish was a little lolly that we yep. we grew up with. And, uh-huh. But, look, the reality in the delicate way that I can say it, for the, all those cat owners, when okay. you walk by, when your cat walks by you and it's, Pails up. Okay, that's the chocolate stuff, and it kind of winks at you. That's that's the... <laughs> and it kind of winks at you exactly. <laughs> A <laughs> little Oscar, okay. little Oscar's uh, your chocolate starfish. Okay, <laughs> and who came up with it? And this is the uh, this is actually the uh, the connection to uh, people in their sixties and seventies. Right. Um, Barry Humphreys had a character uh, he did called Sir Les Patterson. He did. I remember um, that. Yeah, I do. The cultural attaché. He was a bit of a slob. Yes. And he talked about the chocolate starfish. And we thought it was funny, and we thought we used that name until we got a better name. We never got a better name, so that became the band's name. So, so Barry Humphreys through Sir Les is to blame. Okay, so how do you how did the how did the audience or the parents of the of the kids listening to you feel about that? Because, I mean, uh, I thought Les was incredible. The character of Les Patterson, he, he was he was pretty he was pretty full on. Um, yeah. and a little bit rude at times. I'm, I'm amazed they didn't put him off the air, but he did it in such a, such a way, um, yeah. you know, that everybody sort of loved him. But a lot of the mums thought he was just a filthy old bugger. Like, yeah. you... look, I, I, look, I think it's how you, do, you know, hopefully I've delivered my explanation in yeah. a way that people get a right smile, but they don't, you know, they don't, uh, if you deliver it crudely like he did, yes. um, then, then you're probably going to alienate people. But I For think, sure. uh, Hopefully my explanation is, um, you know, rice smile enough to know, okay, 
that's where it came from. Yep. Um, and you know, one of those things, like a mouse, we all have one. I wonder, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Can I ask you? You said you've been asked that question a number of times. Did you ever get asked that question, like, and not know it was coming at you the very first time somebody said to you, "Where did the name Chocolate Starfish come from? Who decided to call the band that?" For oh, the very yeah. first time, did they actually tip you off and say, "We're going to ask you this and, and give you time oh, to prepare"? I think they might have. It was that long ago, so okay. I can't. Really remember if I got caught uh, if I got caught off guard but yep. I'll tell you if I ever did I yep. would never get caught off guard again so <laughs> I had to be prepared for those moments absolutely and, absolutely uh, anyway, that, that's what life's like you've got you've got to be hello Hello, are you there again? Yeah, yeah, I thought I lost you again it's probably been in Broken Hill where I am but you're back you're back <clears throat> So, okay. Now let's get on to this new album. How did we? How did you, as the band, because you you chose "You're So Vain" um, as a single, and that was a, a huge hit for Carly Simon back in the seventies. From she had an incredible album. In fact, I've got that album on vinyl. Uh, the album was called No Secrets. Brilliant album by Carly Simon. And you chose "You're So Vain." Fantastic song. Now for this new upcoming album, uh, which is called "Beautiful Addiction," it's actually due out on the fourteenth of May. Um, what's up, the Four Non Blondes, which is already out and available now? Why Why did you pick that song, or did it just have something f- meaningful for you, or did you think, hey, that's that was a great big hit for the Four Non Blondes, as was You're So Vain? Let's do that one. Yeah, no, good good question. Um, it, it came about because back in the nineties, just as You're So Vain was being released. Mm-hmm. We we uh, we relocated for several months to Los Angeles, and uh, it was that very year that um, that Four Non Blondes put out um, "What's Up," the "What's Going On" song. Yes, and you know we were living in this share house in in LA, and um, hoping that back home in Australia, you're so vain, you know, we'd get some traction, which it did. And I remember this song coming on MTV and thinking, "Wow, this is great!" And she's so quirky and. Um, you know, really good song. I'd love love to uh, you know meet meet them one day. We never did, but I just love the song, and it just be, sort of became part of the soundtrack of that experience. And you know, fast forward twenty five years, um, and we're doing um, the Red Hot Summer tours two or three years ago around the country. And um, in your survey, I started breaking down the the song to a straight drum beat. Um, was you know the last song of the of the day, and there was ten thousand people out there, and I'd start singing all manner of things like "Oh, black bear, bam, bam," or or then I'd go for the younger crowd, and I'd sing "Don't you wish your boyfriend was hot like me," or whatever the song was. <laughs> okay. Anyway, one day I just maybe it was a throwback to my memory, and I started singing um, the chorus of of "What's Up," and the crowd just went off oh, like they. Yeah. So I, I tried it again the next day. I said to the band, I'm going to extend it a bit more. I'm going to sing the, the verse as well. And uh, anyway, by the time we got to the end of that tour, it literally the whole song was being done in the, in the middle section of, of your survey. And it was standalone. It was becoming part of what, you know, was a highlight for the, the concert. Mm-hmm. And so when we started um, during COVID, we started to um, – put this new song together our drummer said look we'd be crazy not to record um you know four non-blondes what's up because just remember the reaction that it got and we you know we sort of uh you know we did a couple of versions with 
um, with a couple of guys that wasn't quite right. And um, and then when Tim Henwood uh, had a play with it um, and uh, he said, look, you know, this we should do it like this, and uh, it just it just hit the mark, hit the mark, and it then became the the blueprint for the sound of the rest of the album. So that's how the song came about, and we've only just released it last week, and the response from uh, from radio uh, has been instantly amazing. So I'm cautiously cautiously optimistic. We may start to get some airplay in the next couple of weeks, and. Fingers crossed if you get any of the traction that your surveying got, um, this and the new album could be on a winner. Well, I played it last week and I did announce um, that we were going to have you as a guest on the show. And I, I got a, a, quite a good response from the audience. They, they messaged me and said, what's going on? When are you going to have this man on the line? And I said, oh, we're going to keep that for a later date, but we will let you know as soon as we get it done. So I think the album's going to go really good for you. I mean, can you tell us a lot about anything about it or not? Because it's not due out until yeah. the 14th of May. Can you can you give us any little scoops for the listeners or or um, is yeah, it all sort of top okay. secret at this stage? No, no, like, look, I can tell you a couple of things. So the, the title track, The Beautiful Addiction, right. uh, it came about, um, and you, know, you and I touched on, um, you know, reality TV and now, you know, the reason why perhaps I think there's a better, a better way to it. So any, look, anything that's sensational driven is not my, my cup of tea, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty raw and I, and I go with the moment and I go with the, the flow of what's going on and, um, the song Beautiful Addiction came about because I, I know through Museo Magic I work with a lot of young people who are absolutely addicted to fake tan, to Botox lips, to um, you know eyelashes that are ten foot long, and and they're such beautiful. You know, I'm talking about the females here, yes. such beautiful young girls, and yep. and I just don't. You know, they all aspire to be this Kardashian look, mm-hmm. and um, to me it. it it reeks of falsedom, and Absolutely. It's, it's, it's almost like covering up their um, who they are. They're, they're masking who they are. Yes, and yes. so the title track of the album is is a bit of a, um, a discussion on why people are so addicted to this um, stereotype. Um, to- you call totally it? stereotypical, yeah. stereotypical yeah. Um, almost to the nth degree, what they term beauty, because I think it's masking their, their true beauty. Of course. Um, so that's the that's the title track, and and one of the other tracks that we're really proud of is um, actually a song I wrote for my wife um, called "God and I Know." Okay, and I wrote it for my wife at our wedding, and it was back when we got married, when the band and I were estranged, so none of the band members actually came to my wedding, and so anyway, during COVID, I was um, digitizing some of the VHS tapes, and I showed the boys. Oh, here's the song I wrote for, for Mel, my wife, and um, you know I wore a kilt and I grew my hair back in those days, mm-hmm. and it was, it was quite funny. And I just actually showed it to them, as in, hey, you know, hey, here's my wedding um, for a bit of a look, and they they all came back to me and said that song's amazing. Yes, we have to record this. Okay, and I just said, oh, that's only a song I wrote for my wife. I didn't think that you guys would think that was a chocolate starfish song. And they all agree that it was. And anyway, it's come up so, so great that um, a bit like, um, you know, I would do anything 
for you um, that uh, that song that uh, Kevin, from the Kevin Costner. Um, oh yes, one yes, yes, yes. Uh, from the from the Robin Hood movie, mm-hmm. I actually believe it could be one of those wedding songs wow. that everyone would um, would want to play to their love uh, on the day because the lyrics. Um, I'll give you the chorus. It says, God and I know you are my angel. God and I know you are the reason. God and I know sometimes it feels like love takes a lifetime. But when the world says it ain't so, don't believe them because God and I know. Wow. That's pretty powerful stuff. <laughs> yeah. It is. Really, it is. really powerful stuff. As a, as a religion in, in your life, I know, I know you do meditation and deep breathing and stuff like that to sort of relax you and wind yeah. you down. I mean, uh, is is there any sort of God that's helping you with that sort of lyric? Because that is well, come from some very deep question. place. It does come from a very, very deep place. And, and it's one of the things that I've perhaps struggled with, you know, over the years as because as, I was brought up, um, you know, Methodist. So in a, in a country town where religion was quite, um, it was quite strong. So, um, I, I like to call myself now, you know, a spiritual person. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've got connections with a you know, guru in India, like you talked about, and um, I like to I like to be accepting of all religions. I think, to me personally, where it's when it's when man-made religions um, create boundaries yes. uh, for people. That's when I that's when I believe we we have issues. Mm-hmm. I think the purity, and I, that that's why I don't believe you have to worship in a church or. Or, uh, or you have to worship with a priest or a minister. I okay. think that, um, to me, God is within, God is without, and God is existing all around us. And that God force yes. um, is, a, is a force within all of us. And I think if you tap into it, it can be seen in the in the eyes of a of a newborn child. It can be it can be seen in the in the love of of, of your wife. It can be seen in um, you know poignant moments in nature. But you have to you have to open up all parameters to to the God force, and that's what I try and do. Whether I meditate, whether I, you know, I'm at a I'm at a church, whether whether I'm just you know working with a bunch of kids, I try and tap into the God force and allow that to flow through. Mm. Wow, <laughs> certainly not the sort of conversation I'd be having with you, Adam. Incredibly, um, I, I'm thinking. A wild, crazy rock star, but you're you're a very grounded, deep individual. Well, thank you, and yeah, and I guess that that probably hopefully is a nice way to wind up the interview. Is Absolutely, that I think sometimes you can you know you can judge a book by its cover, and um, and I think that's uh, that's and that, and that goes back to the beautiful addiction album. You know, I think um, the more layers we put on ourselves, the more we. Um, we, we, we create these layers that people have to work through to get um, to get to the the essence of, of a person. So, you know, I like to I like to be as raw and and um, you know and as unbridled, and and, that, and part of that's my performance. So, yes, I can put on that um, that that show, and and I can I can tap into that force, but mm-hmm. I, I can also. I can also tap into the energy of, of, of the love of spirituality and 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 then be calm because because otherwise I wouldn't have that balance no. in in life and I wouldn't be able to bring uh, all those things to the table that I bring to the table um, as Adam Thompson. So yes. that's why I love to do it. So I want to thank you for um, for having me speak some some of these truths. 
Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure for me, Adam, and um, I'm, I can't wait for the album to come out. You, you, do you feel you've taken a couple of quick risks by, you know, making songs with such deep lyrics for your for your fans, for your listeners, or or do you think yeah. how do you think they're going to accept it? Yeah, I do, but I think you know if you can't do that at fifty five years of age, if you can't take risks now, yes. you know, you never can. Fantastic. So um, otherwise, you know, you'll 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 have regrets and. I like to not have too many regrets in life. In mm-hmm. fact, I can probably count them on one hand now, the regrets I have. Um, so I think as long as you deal with them and you, and, you, and you face them, and I've had a lot of challenges with mental health in the last 20 years, and, and part of those is, is dealing with, um, with, with the rawness of who you are and, and, and your fallibility. And if you can't put those into song now and, and share those with, the world and the universe and your, and, your, and your growing fan base, then who can you? Adam, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I know you're a busy, busy man. I'd love to uh, chat with you later as the, when the album comes out. Um, I will be definitely seeing you at Monday Monday. I'm not sure about the uh, Bohemian at the Rule, which is on the 8th of August. I'll do my best to see that. But I'm definitely going to be at Monday Monday, so I'd love to catch up with you and uh, put a face to a voice. That'll be great, mate. Thanks, heaps. Thank you so much for your time. Adam Thompson, Cheers. listeners, the um, one and only front man, the great front man of Chocolate Starfish.